Hi, my name is Kevin McQuillan, and the following pre-recorded conversations are my attempt to make sense of the human experience through the practice of yoga. I hope you enjoy. We're speaking about fear. And where fear can be stored in the body, which is kidneys. The very reason why this class is oriented towards the kidneys. So you get to explore your relationship to fear. How bizarre, but how amazing. And I have some distinctions up on the board to share with you. Fear in the phantom. What the hell is the phantom? <laughs> you, the phantom you, and how the phantom you generates fear in your space versus courage to confront. What can tend to happen is that we protect ourselves. What I've come to learn is protection doesn't work over an extended period of time. It actually weakens us because we're so protected. We have no exposure to anything. And so anything out of the ordinary that visits us, we don't have the capacity to be with it. And that's a problem. Life is very dynamic. Have you noticed? <laughs> it seems sometimes it's like one problem after another. And if we don't have the ability to be a masterful problem solver, we are in a problem. And so having a relationship to fear is important, but also having the capacity to redefine your relationship to fear is necessary. First distinction, with the wrong story, chaos visits. In the throes of chaos, you become chaos itself. It's easy to tell ourselves the wrong story. We explored that yesterday. And how that can generate chaos. So much chaos, we don't know which way to go. We're paralyzed with fear. We can do that all on our own. The wrong story is the wrong plan. You know that because your plan is fragile. And so are you. to notice where you are fragile. The very place you've been attempting to protect yourself from for a very long time. And it has not served you well. Because once it's touched, things don't go well. The very reason why you keep people at a distance. And you do that in your own unique way. Just close enough, but just far enough away. That's a tough way to relate in relationship. You see how fragile once confronted, confronted with a problem, whatever that problem is, you start to understand your fragility. Without your plan, you don't know who you are. That's why we can be so grippy and clingy to where we come from because we know it, it's our story and we cling to it. I'd rather have this story than not know who I am and where I am. And so in some sense, we don't like to give up what we have. And a part of that is your suffering. At some point to heal, you have to make the decision to give up what you've known, which is your suffering. Some people have no interest in that. They toy with healing, but they're not committed to it. Healing is serious business. 
It cannot be toyed with because it doesn't work. And we have to take it on in a serious way at our own peril. It's a significant sacrifice that we have to make because we literally have to cut parts of ourselves away. It's very painful. In an effort not to be exposed as a fool, you cling to your plan to protect your persona, phantom you, the fake you, the person you've built yourself into. The person you know yourself to be. The person you present yourself to others through. The unreal you. And that can happen. So unreal, there's not much reality left. We're living in fairy tales. And that's easy. Especially through the wrong story. The result, however, is that you become rigid. Don't learn anything and continue to perpetuate your failings. That's why yoga is so confrontational. It's one of the reasons why I love it. It demands that you're a student. If you can't be a student, you have absolutely no access to healing. You're not going to learn anything. You're just stuck in your own suffering. I've been doing this for a while. <laughs> Teaching in settings like this for a very long time. I have a good sense of people. I pay attention, especially when people are on their mat. I get a good sense if people are committed to their healing or they're deeply committed to their suffering. You have to get outside of what you know to be the student so you can learn something. And that's my attempt here is to teach you something. And are you willing? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. <laughs> you have to give up a lot to be in this environment. That's why it's so confrontational, this practice of yoga. One of the reasons why you like it in some ways, then also have a great disdain for it. It reveals itself. You reveal yourself on your mat. Where are you the students? And where, you, where you're the arrogant know-it-all that doesn't want to learn anything. The rigid you. That'll be revealed to you during this practice, absolutely. And it's a good thing to know what it feels like when you get rigid and cling on to what you know and what it's like to be the you that opens up and exposes yourself to something new and each pose gives you that opportunity. What do you do when you get fearful? Some of you identified what you're fearful of. What do you do when you're fearful? What's a behavior that visits you? Do you turn and run? Do you lose eye contact, stop speaking? Withdraw, thank you. Avoidance, okay. Placate, very good. Hide, thank you. Anxiety, mm -hmm. very good. Numb out, good, thank you. Shut down. Say it again. Work harder, very good. Okay, reactivity. Okay. Appease. We can live in a fearful state. So much so that that's how we behave. It's very difficult to be with ourselves in that state. 
it's also very difficult for others to be us be with us in that state. It doesn't support relationship, it actually pulls it apart. And so in the context of yoga, the idea is to get yourself out of that posture that you know so well. The posture that Mary was speaking about is how we buckle in and say, uh, uh, uh. How do we stand in our space? Build the internal posture that we need. Which is necessary and a great challenge, a beautiful thing. I've been sharing with you over the last few days about a relationship I was in, an intimate relationship <laughs> ah, that I do not like talking about. This is my way to pull myself out of an experience that I do not like, that has kept me fearful and shameful for a very long time. <laughs> There's a lot of emotion wrapped up in this. The wrong story I've been telling myself for a very long time is that I do not deserve good things and therefore I do not deserve to be respected. That's definitely played out in my relationship with women. Women have been the antagonist in my story for a very long time and very complex. And what I've noticed as I look at myself in the past is that I presented myself as the weak version of myself. The problem with that is that any sensible woman would be deeply disgusted by that stance and posture, the weak me. which supported me being treated poorly in relationship, which I tolerated because I felt I deserved it. So I rationalized it. You're pathetic. And this is the evidence you need to support the story that I had. I was so willing to be punished. It's difficult to see myself that way, but it's important that I see myself that way. So I remind myself of how important it is not to be that. <laughs> One of the examples I have that puts this into perspective for me was being berated and then being punched in the face all in the same conversation. <laughs> and I remember the next day having a black eye. <laughs> and the conversation I was having with myself And how I rationalized that, that I deserved this, to be berated and physically assaulted all at the same time. And it was so interesting to see my willingness to be bruised and battered emotionally, as well as physically. I 
I do not like that version of myself. <laughs> and I'm attempting to recover myself in various different ways. The reason, the very reason I'm speaking about this because it's time, because I've hidden it for so long. <laughs> and it's cost me a lot. Certainly my own dignity and respect. That's the thing that hurts the most. <laughs> One of the benefits of this in so many different ways is my relationship to misery. <laughs> it's like, I know misery. Oh, do I know misery. And I've been mapping misery, my own misery for a very long time. And that's the crux of my teaching. I, don't, I know how to get there and I know how to pull myself out of it. The very thing I'm attempting to teach people as well. You know misery very well. Sometimes you know how to get out of it. And my hope during our time together is that you learn something about how to pull yourself out of the miserable state you're in, in some sense. And part of it is exposure. It's not protection. Protection doesn't work. I know that intimately. It's exposing ourselves to the very thing that terrifies us and to do it incrementally so we can tolerate and withstand the pressure that comes along with our exposing ourselves and the practice of vulnerability that's necessary to heal. Courage to confront. I love these two questions. Would you not like to be afraid? Interesting question. Or know that you can handle being afraid. We're going to be afraid. Through protection, the attempt is never be never to be exposed to something that's concerning. That's the practice of protection. We've all been doing that for a very long time. You could ask yourself, did it work? Is it working? No. Of course it's not. That's the trick. Who can be quite the trickster? Truthful conversations redeem. That's happening here in the space. I've witnessed it. Some of the things, some of the things that you're saying out loud are deeply revealing. Have you noticed? <laughs> it's incredible when you speak up. Graduated exposure to what you're afraid of is curative. And so the proposition is that these two things can make your life better. Truthful conversations, your willing to, willingness to expose yourself to things that terrify you. Things that you don't necessarily want to be with. And to do it voluntarily. To choose it. Every time you hit your mat is an opportunity to choose something. And it can't always be happiness and joy and wonderful things like such but to be able to choose things that are difficult to be with and to do it voluntarily because you know it's necessary. I'm gonna share with you two strategies and we're gonna move on. I think they're relevant. I could talk about these for days and often do. 
these two particular strategies are ways in which we protect ourselves. Your persona. We're masterful at protecting ourselves. To hide ourselves, we heard that. We withdraw, we hide, we placate, we duck, we protect, all these different things, and we share that experience. That's why it's so strange to be in a relationship. <laughs> it's like I'm there, then I'm not there. You're there and you're not there. It's like, what the hell is going on here? It's like hide and seek in so many different ways in relationship. Two fundamental ways that I've noticed that we use to hide and protect are the pleaser and the perfectionist. We're both, you're both, but one is more relevant to you and prevalent in your life. You play out more than the other is what I'm getting to. We shift back and forth, but one is stronger than the other, meaning you use it more. So perhaps you're the pleaser, perhaps you're the perfectionist, but we do switch back and forth. Maybe you're the perfectionist at work, then you're the pleaser at home. I don't know, whatever that is, but the idea is that you wanna know because once you start to see these strategies and how prevalent they are in your life, it'll stun you. And it gives you a gauge of how protected you are in your life. And then the idea is to stop doing it. Stop doing, stop relying on these strategies. And you do them less, you expose yourself more, your life improves. The pleaser, the drive, love me for being, for being kind. Just love me, I'm so kind. I'm like that lovely little bunny that you see hopping around the property. So soft and cute. I'm so kind. Desire to be like the strategy, be nice and accommodated and to control. Pleasers are attempting to control relationships. I'm so kind, so love me. Keep me around. Thank you so much. I'll do whatever you need. At a moment's notice. You're more important than me and I'll show it as much as I possibly can. Your responsibility in this relationship is to like me and love me and nothing else. Seeks praise, love and safety. So meaning if the pleaser is being praised, that must mean that they're loved. And if they're feeling loved, they can feel safe. That's a lot of pressure to put on oneself. If you're not being praised, who are you? Well, you don't know. That's the problem with the pleaser. They rely on other people to tell them who they are. So much so there's not much left. The consequences they're seen as weak and needy. Clinging. Need people to survive in various different ways. Can't make a decision for themselves. Definitely can't say no. Have a very difficult time standing for themselves and can be taken advantage of, and often are. So much so they become embittered and resentful. The integration, of course, for a pleaser is autonomy and assertiveness. Ha, the two things they don't want to be. What? To stand on my own two feet? Be an individual, do things on my own? Weird. And say no sometimes and assert myself? Oh my goodness. But that's the practice. You can practice that on your map. Being the individual, asserting yourself in ways that you don't necessarily like because you don't know it and therefore don't know the benefits of doing such a thing. The perfectionist, maybe you're the perfectionist. 
The drive, love me for being flawless. I'm perfect. No way you can criticize me because I'm perfect. Perfectionists can't stand criticism because it's the gateway to humiliation. No, thank you. I'll perfect everything so you cannot possibly take away from it. Desire to feel enough. Perfectionists typically don't feel enough. And that's the compensation. I'll be perfect. Strategies be useful and driven as a way to control. I'll just take everything from you and I'll do everything. And so I'm in control. I'll place myself in a state of power and I'll tell you what to do. So nobody's telling me what to do. I criticize. So I'm not criticized. It can be like that. Seeks recognition, which represents love and safety. If you recognize me as the perfectionist and how useful I am, that must mean that you love me. If you love me, you're going to keep me around and hooray. I'm safe. The problem is you're seen as rigid and arrogant. That's one of the consequences of being a perfectionist. You're the know-it-all, telling everybody what to do. Don't do that. Why are you doing that? You should do it this way. My ideas are way better than yours. <laughs> the integration for a perfectionist is to cooperate and collaborate. Ah, Heart-stopping. The very thing perfectionists don't want to do because they don't like people. But get the hell out of my way. Let me do it myself. You're just going to mess it up anyways. And so to cooperate and collaborate is the work for perfectionists. To empower others. To encourage others. To be great. Which you could do on your mat as well. Cooperate and collaborate with yourself in new ways. I have a question for you. Which strategy do you resonate with more than the other? Are you the blazer or are you the perfectionist? Both, yes, but which one is more prevalent? Oh, do tell, I can't wait. Pleaser, thank you. Perfectionist, would you say? Perfectionist, pleaser, perfectionist. Perfect it is. Okay. Pleaser. Thank you. Pleaser. Pleaser. Good. Good to recognize. Then you could ask yourself, how often are you that? And what they'll get what that will give you access to is how often you are in protection. That people don't have access to you. It's your persona. It's the unreal you. The version of yourself you built out to protect yourself. And so how to stop that? Part of it is integrating to places you don't want to be. And taking that risk. And it's a fundamental risk, but it's a good one to take nonetheless. Yes. Great question. We toggle back and forth. I find a lean towards the pleaser, but then when I start getting upset and angry, yep. I feel taken advantage of. Mm-hmm. I start Great. Can you find yourself going between both of them? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and often. And we toggle back and forth. If one doesn't work, we'll flip to the other one. When that doesn't work, we'll flip to the other one. When I realize that I'm feeling taken advantage of, I kind of start. 
Yeah, good. Good to see that. That's the sway we can find ourselves in. There's no center. Very reason why we can lead ourselves into a state where we don't know ourselves. All we know is the strategies. And that has heavy consequences attached to it because it catches us. We don't take care of ourselves in these strategies at all. That's where we self-abandon. And this thing called the body is just there to serve these strategies. And we'll punish it if it doesn't. The idea is not to practice that way. Take care of yourself. Choose something that's good for you. That's the intention. And integrate into that state. I'll practice long. You ready for that? You have a question. Yeah, so what is there? So you, you work uh, on the sort of work of actions. Like what is, what is this? Yep. The middle ground of this, that fine little line in between, is your values. And if we're too busy being swayed and moved, we don't know what our values are. And so the middle line, the integration, the center we speak about when, when in yoga is your hierarchy of values. The things, the things that you want more than anything else. That's the great discovery, this beautiful practice of yoga. Discovering, uncovering your values, the beautiful thing. Thanks for the question. We must practice. Really nice being with you. You need one block. Bring yourself to your mat, everybody.